for you this morning. Uh, and it is titled, Joy in Adversity. Uh, has anybody ever gone through any adversity in their life ever before? <laughs> oh, funny that. Oh, good. This one's for you then. But first off, I want to talk to something that's uh, very dear to my heart, a sport that I follow uh, with great enthusiasm, uh, cycling. <laughs> if I am honest with you, I have never watched a cycling race in my life before. Sorry, guys, no offence to the cyclists. And I know that there are cyclists in the room. <laughs> I have done a little bit of research on the Tour de France and I thought it was very uh, relevant to this message. I, I researched what they do to prepare for the Tour de France. Oh, my goodness. Those guys are incredible. Apparently, following a few weeks of off-season, a rider will return to training by gradually increasing volume and intensity over what's known as a base period. All very important facts that you must write down and remember. They, and they complete as much as 800 to 1,000 kilometres a week. That's just base training. Just think about that in your head, 800 to a thousand kilometers. That's just to begin the training. Then they've got to focus on their thing called threshold power. And this involves um, sessions lasting between four and six hours, three to five times a week of multiple repetitions of 30 to 60 minute climbs. So you've ever gone up, up a hill on your bike? Think 30 to 60 minutes of that repeated over a number of, <laughs> between four and six hours. Who here is glad that they're not training for the Tour de France? <laughs> uh, and that's just that's just a, a little taste of what they do. Then they've got to do this race that is three three thousand six hundred sixty four kilometers. Yes, there was differing accounts of how long the race was, um, whether it was three three six four or three three six five point eight. Um, and they've got to have the most important thing for them. I did some research on the psychology behind the cyclists. And the most important thing for them was this thing called mental toughness. And, uh, I mean, look at these guys. This is their legs. Apparently, they get so lean, they're on such a strict diet, that they have no fat in their legs anymore. So you can just see the muscle and the veins because there's no fat there to to cover it over. <laughs> Who's glad they have fat in their legs to cover that over? <laughs> That's just, you know, typical cyclist legs. There's worse photos than that, but I, I could not inflict those photos on you. They were too horrifying. Things like this guy's bleeding. He uh, fell over. Um, fell over. He had a crash. Um, and he had a second-degree dislocation of his um, AC joint in his right shoulder. He had bruised ribs and right shoulder blade and left wrist, all bruised, abrasions on hips, back, arms, legs, cuts to his right eyebrow eyebrow, and back of head. He decided he needed to finish the race <laughs> and kept going. And then it was in the report it said, we will decide tomorrow if he can continue. Because he finished that stage, because that's what they do. This mental toughness of cyclists is insane. And um, there was a question put to a sports psychologist that says, uh, the question was, how would you say the psychology of an elite cyclist differs to that of an average cyclist? And they said, it was an ability to suffer. So they're in their own head. They can control their emotions, their self-regulations when it comes to their bodies is really good. The fact that they know, okay, I might get injured here 
and then they'll call their coach and go, this is what's happening. And so they're, they're in tune with themselves a lot and they have a better engine. So the psychology that, you know, it contributes to this mental toughness is an ability to suffer and an okayness to suffer. I won't be taking up elite cycling at any point soon. Anybody else willing to? Uh... <laughs> okay. Anybody think what does that relevance that is irrelevant to what what I'm talking about today is that we almost have to have this mental toughness, this this ability to continue in the face of adversity for the goal, for the prize. For cycling, it is finishing a race. It is that achievement, you know. And I, a sport is awesome, and I totally understand the drive to to get there, to finish, to hopefully win, you know. But in our life, we crash. And we have to climb hills and we need to do five hours of repetitious hill climbing. Has anyone ever felt like they've had to do that in their life before? We need this mental toughness that gets us through <laughs> with an ability to suffer but to keep going, to keep continue having joy despite all of the stuff that's going on. Why? Because our goal is to finish with Jesus, yes? Yes. Yeah. To go with Jesus until the end. I'm going to read James 1. And that's going to be the basis for uh, this message this morning. It says, and we're starting in verse 2. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I'm glad they put various kinds in. Because it's not just one particular trial. Like, you know, there's, you know, it's various kinds of trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If a cyclist never goes through any pain in his training, and he never experiences any pain in his race, will he be able to complete the Tour de France? It's impossible. You must have the expectation and the ability to withstand the suffering to finish the race. It, ju it just is what it is. Can we get through life without pain, even with Jesus by our side? No. It says in the Bible, you know, it's not if, it's when you come across troubles. And that's just the way this fallen earth is. So I don't like it when people suggest that, you know, well, once you're with once you're with God, you know, the, the, the road is smooth and it's easy and, you know, and I, yes, the burden is lifted because we trust the Lord. But in no way does it go, and there you live in your perfect bubble until the day you die. That's not what the Bible ever says in any, any, at any point, ever. And when I think of my own life, and you can probably think of your own life too, uh, the hard things have made you who you are today. If I never went through um, a very hard period of life, I honestly think my character and my personality changed as a result of that. I would not be able to be the person I was without going through this massive, awful, awful trial, <laughs> which in the middle of it I was crying out to God saying, I think I'd rather die right now, to be honest. <laughs> and I never relate to that, you know. You're in the middle of it and you're like, this is ridiculous. I wouldn't have the same steadfast. I can see it now because I can look at it. 2020 vision is great, you know, hindsight. I can see the steadfastness that was produced in that time. It would have been impossible to produce that had I not gone through that trial. 
how about you? You probably can look at things in your own life and can go, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have that trusting, I, 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 I wouldn't have that relationship with the Lord had I not gone through that with him. But, you know, what's in the past is in the past now. That's past. And you might need to now move on from your past. There might be people who um, did really well in a trial, like did really well. Like you stuck to your guns with God, you walked with God through that trial. And now you're on the other side and maybe it's been a few years and you've lost your passion and your fervour for the Lord. You need to stop relying on how <laughs> how well you did in that trial and now come back to God again because we need to deal with today and we need to deal with tomorrow. Let's not rely on our past. Also, on the flip side of the coin, you may look back at a trial in your life and go, yeah, I failed. I let go. I I did not turn to God in that trial. That that was that that is not a proud moment of my history in my walk with the Lord. We need to now move on from that. That's in the past. All we can do is deal with how we deal with trials now and then how we deal with trials tomorrow. Let's deal with the moment instead of dwelling on the past um, and putting all uh, uh, and, and perhaps having a, a sense of pride about what we did or perhaps having a sense of shame about how we did. Let's deal with today. How are you going to deal with your trials today? You may have had incredibly difficult trials yesterday. Now you're not in those trials. You may have trials tomorrow. How will you how will you deal with those trials tomorrow? Let's I mean we don't forget, we learn and we grow in steadfastness. But let's not go, oh, and that was my trial for my life and now I'm done. Now I move forward. <laughs> smooth road because I had a huge mountain behind me and I've dealt with it and it's smooth from now on. Well, good luck. <laughs> it says various trials. It's just the way, it is the way that it is. God didn't want us to go through this, but this is the fallen world we live with, you know, and it just is the way that it is. And so the Bible helps us work through this okay so it says i had a look at different versions to see the way that this was phrased okay can count it all joy right and then i was like well sometimes in different versions it makes it easier to digest it like lessens the meaning a little bit um it says consider it nothing but joy in the amplified and then it says in the new king james it says my brethren count it all joy same and then it says in the NIV, consider it pure joy. <laughs> so there's no way of getting out from the fact that you have to count the trials as joy. <laughs> so no version is giving you an out in this situation. <laughs> okay. And you're probably going, this is too hard. But it gives us a why. It gives us a why we could consider it joy. And that is because it produces steadfastness. Another version would say perseverance. Another version says endurance in us. And it really does. Nod your head if, if you can see that in your past. Yes. It really does produce that in us. So if you're in a trial, know that it is actually producing something in you. We just walk with the Lord in that. It's actually growing you i mean that uh who wants to be told that nobody uh who wants to be told when things go wrong it's building your character <laughs> oh great <laughs> my character's good enough i don't want it anymore but it does give us encouragement here that it says 
it is producing something in you. I remember when I started running when I was younger um, and I said, I have said this phrase many times, my body's just like the type of body, it just does, I'm not a runner, like it doesn't, it doesn't, okay, around as a kid, obviously, athletics, carnivals and all that sort of thing, you know, always, always did well. Uh, but as I got older, I was like, yeah, no, I just get exhausted, super, super fast, can't breathe um, and my body is, is a body that is not built for running. I'm not built for running. My sister, very good runner, uh, can go for miles and miles and miles and miles. But I was like, I'm not a runner. That's not my thing. I can't run. So I thought, you know what? I should just try this. I should, I should, I should give myself a goal. So I had the goal. I would get <laughs> over the hill in Bulwara, and I literally ran about. It would only be maybe 600 meters, and I made it. And I was like, <gasps> and you hope that nobody, um, nobody is standing there watering their gardens. Oh, then you try and hold your breath. You're like. <gasps> I don't know how loud I'm breathing. <laughs> this could be so... <laughs> Take me <them> out. <laughs> Red. <laughs> Anyone who's tried to start running would understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and I got to that point. And then I'm like, all right, I got to the memorial. All right, I'm going to go around the corner next time. And I slowly built it up. And then after a few months, you know, running 5Ks a day, fine. Turned out that my body was built for running and I was just lazy. <laughs> but I developed that endurance within me and I achieved something that I was sure was unachievable for me. And what I have to say about that is, number one, you might think now it is impossible, it is point blank impossible to find joy in the circumstance that you are in. You, you might 100% believe that. Number two, you might think, you cannot handle the circumstance that you're in. However, we have to go back to the word. And God does not ask us to do something that is impossible. He doesn't actually have these expectations that we will never be able to attain to. That isn't who God is. And he tells us to count it all joy. You can do that. God would not ask us to count it joy if it was impossible for us to count it joy. And then number two, God wants to help you do it. Because we go in ourselves, we are not strong enough. We don't have that. I mean, some people, some cyclists have that mental toughness to get up hills and stuff like that. But in us, there's an, there's an inadequacy to be able to deal with kinds of trials that, some, that, that can be inflicted on us. We need help. God does not expect to do it, us to do it by ourselves. I'm going to keep reading James chapter 1, and it's, I've kind of skipped a couple of verses. I'm picking it up in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind picture a C there. For that person was not supposed that he would receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So I would suggest from reading that, that it's time to stop sitting on the fence in your walk with God. Maybe he'll help me. Maybe he won't help me. Maybe he likes me. Maybe he doesn't like me. What it says there is, it pushes us off the fence to say, 
Have faith now. God really does like you and he wants to give you things. Hop off the fence and start believing now that God is going to give you wisdom, that if you ask him, he wants to give you good gifts. It's about growing in your understanding of the character of God. He's not against you. He's for you. Get off the fence and 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 have the security and the and the and the relaxation of knowing that God wants to give you good gifts. I love that it tells us that we shouldn't uh, <laughs> that we should be of definite confidence that God will help us. All right. Sometimes we need to ask God, please help us to trust that you'll help us. You know. God doesn't mind those sorts of prayers. (laughs) Let's be honest with the Lord when we pray. You know, if there's an inadequacy in you and you're like, I'm really even struggling to pray that, be open with God. Don't try and think that you have to have to bring a facade to God. It's pointless because you can see through it anyway. All right, so let's be people who expect that God is going to give them the wisdom that they need to go through the trial. Expect that God wants the best for you. All right, we're going to jump to 1 Peter chapter 1. And it addresses the issue from another angle. All right. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts so well. It is great mercy. He has given us new birth, new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Have you ever heard about people's inheritances uh, whittling away in lawsuits? Uh, as families fight over possessions? Um, Have you ever expected to receive an inheritance and then it never actually got to you? Have you ever heard of of people wasting inheritances? Well, the inheritance we have from God is not like that because it will never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith we are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth, than gold. That's your faith. Greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you haven't seen him with our own eyes because we weren't alive when he was walking on the earth, we have, we still love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And a field with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. In no way does it deny that there will be various trials, various kinds of trials. I mean, I could go through a number of verses that says that that will happen. But it always comes back to having joy in the circumstance, having the hope and the faith 
and the expectation of salvation and focusing on that instead of being overwhelmed by the current circumstances that we're in, that it says there is only going to last for a very short time. It's a blip in the, in the scheme of eternity. So what do we think on then if we need to rejoice? In the trial, we need to think on the fact that we have hope now and for eternity. We need to presume that we are, have an inheritance and know that it is for us. We can enjoy not being afraid of dying. We can trust that God is ultimately in control. It reminds us of our need in the, in the trial. It reminds us of our need for God and that we can trust him. And we are completely and utterly loved. Completely and utterly loved. Now, in no way am I suggesting that when you are going through a horrific illness, when something happens that is terrible, that you must walk around with a smile on your face because you're saying, I have joy, I have joy uh, in this trial that I'm in and I'm in denial that it's even happening because I've been told that I've got to keep smiling. For me, the idea of joy is something that is deep within us in that we are not overwhelmed by the circumstance. It talks about in the Bible, mourn with those who mourn. You know, there needs to be an acceptance and not a denial of what's going on. But underneath it all, we have an assurance and a joy upon reflection of our hope in Jesus now, in this life and in the future. We are never overwhelmed because we have a trust in a God that loves us completely. So you can't be overwhelmed because you know that ultimately God has it all in, in hand. So you can still have joy at the prospect of eternity with him, at the prospect of him walking with you through life. That's where the joy... I'm not saying you need to be... It's, it's not even that you need to be happy all the time, you know what I mean? Joy for, for me, and if we looked at the word study of joy and all that, we don't have time this morning, is a deeper assurance of almost positivity, you know what I mean? That God has it and he loves us. So never, ever let yourself be overwhelmed. Come back to joy. Come back to that. And that will help you through the trial. All right. Skip ahead to Revelation, it says, and I haven't put it on the screen. It says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance, right? So this is talking to people who did this well. They got through the trials. They persevered. And it says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them false. They, they had things going on that were good, and they persevered through trials. Okay, it says, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name. And have not grown weary. Well done. Good job. Well done, everybody. You did well. But then it says something else. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Because sometimes if we focus too much on overcoming the trials and being stoic and having joy and working hard, sometimes we forget that we love God at all. That it becomes a some sort of work and job and goal and but actually at the end of the day it is walking with our Lord. Yeah. It is loving our Lord. Mm. Many Christians go through trials without joy because they're not focusing on their loving relationship with Christ. Mm. They get a stoicism in them that they've got to keep going. But it's meant to be a love relationship. Mm. Don't lose your first love. Instead 
come back to God in the trial. Don't go, don't grit your teeth and go, here we go. We're meant to be walking hand in hand with Jesus. It's the difference between legalism and walking with the Lord. Never, ever do we ever want to be legalistic. Rules, um, uh, underneath all of the suggestions for how we live in the Bible, which includes the Ten Commandments and and a lot of quite, um, I guess, what you would call narrow guidelines on how we should live. Underneath that, God is love, and that forms the basis of our life, that we walk with a God who is love before anything else. And it is out of love that all of those guidelines fall. But if, if, we, if we forget the point that God is love and we only are walking in the guidelines and it's all about these rules and things like that, we miss the whole point. You, you, you miss it. Like it says, you've been persevered, you've endured hardships for my name, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Go back to your first love. If you feel like you've started becoming grit teeth, stoic person, go back to your first love. Go back to Jesus. Spend time with Jesus yourself. Put on some worship music at home. Just reflect on the Lord. Think about how he's walked with you through the previous trials. Actually talk to the Lord instead of just um, reading books about him and the psychology and the philosophy and the... Actually talk to God. (laughs) Sometimes we think so much and then we forget to actually talk to the person who all the information is about. (laughs) In no way am I defaming um, or, you know, going against studying the word and all that. But sometimes we've, we've done all this, like, super work and we miss God completely. God himself, completely. Yeah. Spend time with the Lord. Let's not lose our first love in all of this, yeah? yeah? So I wanted to bring one side of the coin and then show you the other side of the coin. We have joy in our circumstance because we totally trust that the Lord has everything under control. And we've got to have, we cannot let ourselves uh, be overwhelmed. And then, you know, because we have joy, because we have hope, there is no need to be overwhelmed. But at the flip side, let's not let's not become people who are so um, goal-driven, I guess, that they forget the person of God. Got to get it balanced in the middle, guys. All right, let's pray because I need to pray for wisdom in order to be able to do this. All right, Lord, we thank you for um, the way that you've set it up in that um, we totally trust that you love us. We're so grateful, God. We're so grateful. And, God, I ask that um, for all of us who are enduring trials at the moment, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom. We ask for your help. We ask for your insight. We ask um, for an ability to see it the way that you see it. I pray that no one would be overwhelmed. Help us, God, to have joy in the midst of everything. We genuinely want to follow you, God. Um, So when we go through hard times, God, we want to have the right perspective. So we ask and expect that you help us. Thank you for who you are. We just worship you and praise you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.